thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, our our purpose is to describe the Getting Ahead series and and to bring in speakers that are using uh, these different getting ahead versions of Getting Ahead. So I'm really quite excited to be able to pass this on to the people that are using the work. So just by way of uh, background, uh, the the origin of this was uh, with Ruby Payne's book, A Framework for Understanding Poverty. She wrote that in the mid-90s. I ran across it uh, shortly after she wrote it. And Terry Drusey Smith and I, uh, who are from Ohio and worked together in the same agency, uh, began using her work. And Ruby came to talk with us about what we had done. And she invited us to write Bridges Out of Poverty with her. That book came out in 1999. In about 2002, uh, I began working with a group of uh, people that were in poverty. Uh, that ended up with this book, Getting Ahead in the Just Getting By World. That was first published in 2004. And now there's a series of these books. And uh, that's what today is about. The, f the first of the series was Investigations in Economic Class in America which I wrote with Carla Crodel from Youngstown State University, and it's for first-generation low-income students. Then uh, I was compelled to write about getting ahead, about getting out, which is for re-entry. And my co-authors there are Michelle Wood, who's a returned citizen, and uh, Mitch Libster, uh, who is uh, an attorney. And the next in the series is getting ahead while getting uh, – getting ahead in the workplace, I'm sorry. And that is obviously for people that are uh, actually low-wage employees or people in workforce development and preparing to go to work. The, the last uh, book you see uh, here, the yellow one, is the facilitator notes for uh, getting ahead. Each of these other books has its own uh, user's guide or facilitator notes. And what we have going around across the country is that there are now people certified as facilitators for getting ahead. And then that sets them up to become certified for the reentry book and the workplace book. So uh, we have certified certification is an important part of this because it has to do with model fidelity. The investigations book, uh, the, the certification on that is done by uh, Carla Crodel. So that's just a real quick uh, run through. And what I would like to do is just say that the speakers that we have for these uh, books and getting ahead, starting with getting ahead, is uh, Maria Maganov and Bonnie Bazada, And they're from Tucson, Arizona. They've got a wonderful thing going on there, and you'll love hearing about it. In this book, uh, Investigations in Economic Class in America, we have Angela Martindale from Muskogee, Oklahoma, who's, who's using it. And for the Getting Ahead While Getting Out Reentry book, we have Bill Laughlin. And then for Getting Ahead in the Workplace, we have Crystal Harris. So it's, it's my pleasure to uh, pass this off for the first uh, team. And, and here they are. Uh, I'll let you uh, move through the slides and tell us your story. And uh, you, at the end of our time together, we'll have time for question and answer. So all of you that are on the call, uh, feel free to um, make notes to yourself. And in that final session, uh, we'll take your questions and pass them off to the experts so that you can get them answered. So uh, we look forward to having a conversation with you at the end of this presentation. 
So I'm passing it off and look forward to hearing what uh, you guys have to share with us. So hello everybody, this is Bonnie Bazada and I'm with my colleague Maria Magana and we are here in Tucson, Arizona and I won't tell you the temperature for those of you in colder places. But um, I've uh, been using Getting Ahead since 2006 in uh, uh, a nonprofit that we had in St. Joe County, Indiana and have been in Tucson for the last two and a half years. Um, and using it here in a very special setting with youth that we're going to tell you about today. Um, but I would like to introduce uh, Maria. Hello, everybody. My name is Maria Magaña, and I have been using the Getting Ahead for about two years um, with youth from the ages of 17 to 22. So we're going to tell you today about, uh, as Maria mentioned, um, using Getting Ahead in a very special setting called Les Artes. And Las Artes is a unique learning um, environment for youth from 17 to 22. It's in the heart of South Tucson, which is a very old um, separate municipality from Tucson. It's a blend, blend of cultures from Mexico and Yaki, the Yaqui Nation with many traditions. It is also one of the areas with the highest concentration of poverty. And so Las Artes, um, uh, as a GED program, is built on several components that we think make it really successful. There's a structured classroom study. Um, there's case management. There, at the heart of it is these community art projects. And you can see a mural that the students made that's now sitting at the Department of Labor in Washington, DC. Um, of course, there's GED preparation. There's also employability skills, as well as a strong sense of pride and accomplishment. So we'll give some more details on the program in just a minute. Um, these next three are examples of the murals that the students have made in the program that are all over Tucson and other parts of the Southwest. Um, and notice in, these, in this picture of these uh, vases that it's really a story of migration of people across the desert. And you'll see, um, see the people walking across the desert, but also in the, um, in the mountain landscape. Can you see the women? One is praying and one is pregnant. Um, here's another beautiful uh, mural that's in South Tucson. And here's a third one called Mi Barrio. Um, so these are beautiful uh, uh, works of art um, that uh, the students make along, that artists sort of build the foundation and the students actually implement the work. But I think most importantly is we have um, uh, staff who know how to build relationships with the kids. They come from lots of different backgrounds. Many of them are from poverty. Many of them are from the South Tucson area, um, like our students. And while they may have barriers stacked against them and often have experienced significant, significant trauma, they also have an amazing resiliency, many strengths and protective factors of often loving families and proud cultures. So, um, just as an example, one of our uh, graduates of Las Artes spoke at the last graduation. He just got his PhD in something, uh, I believe it was biochemical engineering. So we know these kids have tremendous pet potential if we can create enough stability um, and support and a, and a future story for themselves. And the majority of the kids that we work with are Hispanic, about 77% 70, of them. 
and about 8% of them are Native American. Although many Hispanic kids also have Native American heritage, and about 11% uh, white and 4% of African American. Uh, and not surprisingly, many of the kids have failed in traditional schools for lots of complicated reasons. So they come in uh, below a reading and math level where they can be successful in their GED. And the, the idea with Las Artes is we meet the students where they are, and then we bring up those scores so that they can um, be successful. Almost a quarter come in below the fifth grade. Um, the majority, 85%, are below the ninth grade, which is where you need to be successful for the GED. Oh, and you can see some of the barriers they face, um, disabilities, some are working, parenting uh, involved in the juvenile justice system, but all, almost all the students are below poverty and come to us as out-of-school youth. And we know that um, research tells us that when these three barriers are present for kids, uh, it creates um, a, a real struggle. So living in areas of concentrated poverty, discrimination based on race, and limited educational attainment. So. Uh, again, kids are coming to us um, facing some significant barriers. And we also know that these are three components, um, supportive and responsive relationships, strengthening core life skills, and reducing the sources of stress can make a significant difference. We do that all at Las Artes, and the Getting Ahead has allowed us to strengthen all three elements. And this is Jose. One of our graduates, who is now in the University of Arizona, uh, with a desire to study botany and help solve hunger. So um, this is how Getting Head works at Las Artes. Uh, students are apply and they're tested. If they are below the seventh grade level, they go into basic education one. Um, if they score above the seventh grade level, they wait and go into basic education two. And what we've done is um, put uh, uh, getting ahead right at that at a, at a two-week block of time between BE1 and BE2 and then we create a cohort of kids that will then go into basic education 2 and track through the whole system um, and this is unusual uh, in that we do it in a very intensive two-week format that fits the regular school day for the kids um, and uh, after they um, complete basic education 2 then they go into the murals component where they learn their employability skills and they're building those beautiful murals that you saw. Um, and then they go into their GED preparation classes and then um, hopefully graduate. I was a facilitator for the um, first nine classes and it was an incredible experience. Um, I had a Patty who helped out in each class and we could see the difference that it was making, but the proof um, is in the pudding. We have tripled the retention rate from a 23 to a 69% of the students who participated. Okay, some additional components that we wove in were like icebreakers that we used every day. Um, during lunchtime, we brought in um, speakers, which were staff and also community role models. Um, we had a tablet at the completion of each class. Uh, we had case managers who helped overcome barriers, uh, vision boards, and incentives. And then after the class, we uh, have these additional supports. So we have a dedicated tutor who can work individually with the students to help them pass their GED. 
We give them support for their college application and FAFSA process. We have workforce development specialists who work to link the kids to training, education, or work um, upon graduation. And then we bring in other workshops and speakers. Um, this past year, we've been emphasizing entrepreneurial skills. And we give the students an evaluation at the end, and you can see um, the kind of positive response that we get. Um, we also received one of the uh, top 10 What Works for Youth Awards from the City of Tucson and our local United Way. And here you can see Phil uh, visiting us about a year ago. We threw a little party for him. He's there with Art Ekstrom, who was the founder of Les Artists about 25 years ago. And another way of measuring our success is the number of students who want to become facilitators and take on a leadership roles. And this is Julie, a Les Artists graduate and now she's a county employee who's taking over the facilitator role for me and she's so excited and she did a great job in her first um, class. So some of the things we've learned in closing is that um, getting ahead really helps students think about a new future story for themselves at that critical time in their life uh, when they can begin imagining um, some opportunities that maybe they didn't see before. We know that it adds motivation, critical thinking skills, and starts developing new strategies for them to be successful. Probably most importantly, it builds a really strong peer community, and that peer community offers an ongoing encouragement and support right at the beginning of their GED program, so it's a kind of glue that keeps the students together. It also um, builds relationships with the staff that they're going to be engaging with as they go through the GED program, and then introduces them to community leaders and people that can be role models. Um, and then we, you know, know there are a lot of barriers, and so we build supports like our case management team and tutoring, our small class size, um, uh, kind of try to create a no wrong door for the students that can talk to anybody in the program. And it really allows students to name past mistakes and experiences with no judgment. So it allows them to, to understand that in, a, in the context and then move on. And we'd love to hear from you, so you can contact us if you have any questions. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Maria and Bonnie. Uh, that, that is a wonderful program, and uh, I, I love the time I, I spent with you guys. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. And I'm sure people have lots of questions, and you'll have people getting in contact with you. So I'd like to invite our next speaker, and that is uh, Angela Martindale. And she has been using investigations into economic class in America in a really interesting way. So Angela, thank you for joining us, and uh, I'll turn it over to you. Hello. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all the participants for being here. Um, again, my name is Angela Martindale. I am a professor at the University of Tulsa, and I live in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I have been trained in investigations for about four years, and I'm in I'm finishing up a research study using investigations. I do have plans to submit a proposal for an actual course, four-credit course, at the University of Tulsa, which will be later on this spring. I do want to preface my um, presentation with a little bit of information about myself and the fact that I was an under-resourced college student. I was born to a mother who was a drug addict and an alcoholic, and my father is unknown. 
So needless to say, my childhood was a little less than ideal. I was abandoned at age 12 by my mother and ended up living with my grandmother. I was expelled from school during my junior year and never ended up going back to high school. I knew that I needed an education for a different life and a better life. I just didn't know how to go about doing it. When um, I ended up being homeless at age 17 and while eating at a local soup kitchen, there were advertisements for free GED courses. So I started taking those courses and through the process, the teacher there said that I could go to college and I should go to college. So she helped me with the enrollment processes. I received a Pell Grant and I started going to school. As someone who is homeless and in an unstable environment, my first attempt at college, was I was unsuccessful. Fast forward to now, I will hopefully defend my dissertation for a PhD in nursing by the end of this month. And I'm telling this story because I just wanted people to know how much my passion for this work is driven by my life and my story. And as the previous speakers spoke and talked about how those students are very talented and they can achieve great things in their life, not just because they come from poverty or un, um, unstable environments, they can be successful with the right support, which is what investigations in this work does and the reason for the passion. So I'll go on with what I'm doing with investigations in the economic class. I'm going to talk about my research study, which was done with nursing students. It was designed as a quasi-experimental quantitative design with an experimental group and a control group. The experimental group were students who wanted to attend the course for free with all of the supplies provided to them, free lunch, and um, the whole entire course was provided to them. And then the control group were, were the students from previous years who had no access to the investigations course. The population is nursing students in their first or second semester, pre-licensure, so they haven't been they haven't been a nurse before, or they're not a nurse becoming an LPN becoming an RN. I had a sample size of 12 students who actually took the course, and I'll tell you a little bit about why or how nursing students are so significant in retention rates and why investigations I think is helpful for that particular population. The average six-year national dropout rate for bachelor degree-seeking students in general, this is not just nursing students, is 43.6%. And then nursing attrition rates, which is the dropout rate, is 48% nationally. So if you look at average bachelor degree-seeking students for any degree, it's 43.6, and nursing is 48%. You can see why it's important for, and for, nurses, for nursing students to we need to work on retention rates for nursing students. And as a healthcare population, we need to produce more nurses, more nurses in general and more nurses who are racially and ethnically diverse. Some predictive factors of attrition or people who drop out or don't complete in specific to nursing is their age, and it can be either too young or too old, but the age was not specific on like a general group above 
26. It was just the young, really young, like fresh out of high school, and then the older populations. If you were African-American, you had higher predictive rates of failure. If you were Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander. If you were male. And if you were a first-generation college student. So what really happened in my course, which is, to me, I thought it was fascinating. The, we sat around here, you can see here in the pictures, is a drawing of how we had the courses set up, round table style, and the little, I don't know if how visible it is to you guys, but those are our um, mental models of poverty, middle class, and wealth. And so, you know, you can see that there that the students did their work, and we did it in family style around the table. The very interesting fact with my research study was the course, investigations course, is set up like a college course. Probably 16 weeks is ideal. For my research, the students that wanted to participate, I allowed them to choose how they wanted their course to be. Nursing students are really busy, and they have other things going on in their lives, not just nursing school, but they have you know a regular life. So fitting this research study in became a problem. Interestingly enough, the students decided to do their course in like two weeks. So nine full days, the same contact hours, but we just did it straight through. So we spent eight hours, nine hours a day together going through the course. So it was a great opportunity to develop relationships. The class format, like I said before and you saw, was sitting around family style, having discussions, reading through the coursework, doing the assignments, uh, working through the assignments together, and having those discussions all together. We had lunch, and we wanted to explore some of the different ideas that we, were, we had access to for lunch. And in this picture here is some interesting foods we tried one lunch, one lunch with some plantains and beans and some I can't even remember the name of that soup, but it was very interesting. And even myself was able to look at and try different ethnic foods with the class. And some of the students who were ethnically diverse in the course gave ideas of where to go to have lunch. So we had a good time through the entire course, including lunch. Some of the lessons learned in doing the research study, because it's very different than probably a relaxed environment and uh, once a week classes as you would normally do. And ideally how I would specifically set up the course if I do it at the University of Tulsa. In research it's different. You kind of have to, I mean things are a little bit more private. You have to be very aware of the students' rights and things like that. Um, as well as getting permission, IRB approval, through universities and boards, and it was definitely barriers to jump through and hoops to jump through, but we made it and we got the uh, participants we needed. The other thing was probably location. If I used any college that I um, received institutional review board approval, there were some colleges that wanted to charge an enormous amount of money to use their classroom to teach the class. So I had to come up with some alternative ways to hold the course or locations, places, that kind of thing. Um, another probably barrier that I think 
in a nursing profession or in higher education, traditionally the teacher leads the course and they teach, they know what needs to be taught and what content needs to be delivered. In this, in investigations, when you allow students to be in control, I think sometimes that um, students can, or the teachers could possibly be uncomfortable with that. And my advice is always to go with the flow, allow them to lead, and everyone is a learner in the um, classroom or in the course as the course goes through. And for the two courses I taught this summer, I felt like I learned more maybe than the students learned, which was absolutely fascinating for me. In my research study, I did have um, students who were from all economic classes, not just from poverty. That was another thing with the Institutional Review Board and my dissertation committee, how if I was to just recruit students from poverty that I would probably never finish because getting enough students to be in the study would probably never happen. So I ended up opening it to all economic classes, which that by itself is a um, interesting piece to the story and to the class because I think so many people learned in that class regardless of their uh, economic status. Ultimately, never give up. Just keep going. Even if you know you have a day where one or two students show up or the next one everyone shows up, just don't take it to heart. Just keep going with the flow. Keep going. And then eventually all the students, to have their light bulb moment and it goes off for them that, yes, there is a reason for all of this and how the process does all come together to help them benefit as they learn it, not as I teach it to them. And the story, if you're familiar with AHA process and the work that trusts the process is the key because the stuff that we do really does work and it is, a fa it is fascinating and amazing and I hope that there's more stories like this to come from me. Thank you. Well, thank you, Angela. Uh, that that was just fascinating. I I uh, I really like to hear about how how you did the work, and and this is for the both speakers that went before. Uh, you know, ad adapting this and being flexible and using it, and yet uh, pretty much staying with the model, and ending up with this idea that we trust the process. In other words, the the learning comes from the the group itself. That's one of the methodology pieces of getting ahead that I think really makes it work rather than having it taught to you. So thanks for making that point, Angela. Uh, next we have Bill Laughlin, and he's been using this uh, with re folks in reentry. So uh, Bill, are you ready to take off with your part I'm, of this? I'm here. I'm here. Um, one uh, caveat in my presentation, I'm laboring under a, recovering from a cold. Uh, Bill, I'm a Bill Laughlin. I'm uh, with God of Hope Ministries in Austin, Texas. We run faith-based dorms in two local prisons, one man, men, uh, man's prison, one women's prison. Um, the, the nature of these uh, uh, dorms are that uh, the, the uh, uh, inmates, participants of the dorm are living together 24-7 and we conduct uh, classes and so on, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we've been doing this for about 11 years. Uh, our purpose is uh, literally to renew hope in incarcerated individuals. Uh, uh, it's a, a very uh, negative experience in prison, and uh, so many 
uh, see no hope uh, for their future, regardless of their uh, the period of time they're incarcerated. So uh, with that in mind, uh, one of the things we began to address about three years ago was to uh, do formal preparation for reentry for prisoners. And we, we will, I'll cover some, some uh, details on that in just a minute. And so we want to assist them in their preparation. Uh, about the time we were doing this, we discovered getting ahead while getting out. Just, it had just been published about three years ago. And uh, <clears throat> we've done three cycles of getting ahead while getting out in the last two years. Uh, we have four trained facilitators. We've only done it in the men's prison so far, but I uh, hope to begin the women's prison next year. So what I'm going to be doing is just very briefly covering uh, the who, why, and what of what we do uh, in, this, in this ministry. So clicking forward. Uh, the who is, uh, uh, no surprise, uh, America's prison population is just exploding. You can see uh, the growth from 1972 uh, to 2014. And most of these folks come back. They re-enter society. Uh, inner communities, and uh, either we try to help them and thereby bring uh, great benefit to the whole community, or we don't. So uh, that's the task that, that we're facing. Uh, if you think this is uh, simply a worldwide uh, experience, uh, that's wrong. The U.S. Uh, over-incarcerates compared to other Western nations, something terrible. So. So we have a, a huge number of people coming back into uh, the uh, free population. Uh, about 80% of them come from a poverty background, men and women uh, growing up in poverty. And as, as such, uh, they're going to bear several characteristics which make them woefully unequipped uh, for reentry as compared to those 20% or so who do not grow up in poverty. So I'm just going to blaze through several uh, slides to illustrate some of the uh, characteristics of those who have been incarcerated, our returning citizens. Uh, one, uh, by and large, they are uh, uh, poorly educated. They have, so many have functional illiteracy. This, this slide just shows uh, complete illiteracy of prisoners compared to adult populations. So illiteracy is a, uh, or poor literacy is a, a tremendous problem. Um, Family, they come from disintegrating families. Uh, almost 750,000 fathers are behind bars in the United States. Uh, so uh, they're dysfunctional and fr uh, fractured families uh, that these prisoners have grown up in. And as returning citizens, they face a lot of challenges in reconnecting or avoiding those families as the case uh, may be needed. Uh, they're not able to accumulate wealth. Uh, here's a just a uh, a quick graph on showing how uh, the general population accumulates uh, wealth over a period of time, whereas uh, those in poverty and those experiencing incarceration uh, never accumulate anything, and therefore they have nothing to fall back on when they uh, re-enter the population. And a similar, similar um, uh, point, uh, incarceration and income, uh, for so many uh, returning citizens, they're un, unskilled for anything but low-wage jobs. Uh, this yellow bars show those who are in poverty. Uh, I, uh, I don't have the 
the green arrow here, but uh, the yellow bars show those who are uh, incarcerated uh, versus uh, the orange shows uh, the general population. As you can see, up until about $1,500 a month, those who are incarcerated have a much, much higher uh, risk of being incarcerated because of low income. Uh, that's why they commit crime. So this is just a, a quick glance at the who of of um, uh, what we're t of, of the people we're talking about in our in our classes. Now uh, I want to just cover real briefly what our God of Hope Ministries uh, how it operates. We run uh, six month faith based dorm faith based dorms, uh, aiming toward this personal growth in in, in uh, hope. Uh, we have classes, small groups, coaching, and we've taken one of the, uh, a, a group of 12, uh, one of the small groups, uh, to uh, introduce getting ahead while getting out. Um, as uh, those incarcerated are approaching the 18, uh, the, the one year to 18 month release date, for 18, well, one year to 18 months before release, uh, they're they're beginning to think about what they're going to face when they get out, and uh, in general, it's a very bleak uh, prospect for most of those incarcerated. So we take uh, 12 of the of those in our faith-based dorm. Uh, we segue out of the dorm into the the getting ahead while getting out group and run it uh, in the six-month period. Uh, where our, our dorm no, normally flows. And of course, the goals of, of the getting ahead while getting out are to produce some plans, a uh, 72-hour plan, smart plan, resource development plan, similar to the other uh, getting ahead programs. And this is a concept that, that most of them have never really encountered. Uh, they don't know how to plan. I'll get to that in just a moment. So this is how we're using getting the context of our faith-based dorm. When prisoners are released, I'm talking now about the why question, why are we doing this? When they're released, uh, they face enormous barriers to re-entry, uh, barriers that are exacerbated over others in poverty class because of their incarceration. Uh, you may have heard of the box on employment uh, applications. The box is a check here if you've ever committed a felony or been incarcerated, uh, which uh, in, in so many cases, I would say probably up, upwards of 90% of job applications, once that box is checked, the uh, employment application goes no further. As I mentioned, they come from tremendous uh, dysfunctions in families, uh, estrangements, often the families we find or the ones that helped get them in prison in the first place. Uh, they grow up in dangerous, dysfunctional communities, so there's a great risk of going back home, so to speak, when they're released. Uh, uh, they have a lack of education and, and uh, job skills. But the biggest thing we found, uh, these, these, these other factors, these first four factors, are uh, tremendously difficult. But... Uh, uh, the biggest problem is the uh, no experience in planning for the future and the tyranny uh, of the moment. Uh, in, in some of the getting ahead literature, this uh, 
quote is given, poverty and all its related concerns require so much mental energy that the poor have less remaining brain power to devote to other areas of life. When your bandwidth is loaded, you're just more likely to not notice things. You're more likely to not resist things. You ought to resist. You're more likely to forget things. You're going to have less patience, less attention to devote to your children when they come home from school. So the tyranny of the moment is a, um, is a barrier facing them, and that's uh, what getting ahead is all about, is learning how to plan, plan in the abstract, uh, plan for the future, uh, plan uh, around tyranny of the moment. So uh, what is our strategy in getting ahead, and what is distinctive about this strategy? When we began planning, uh, we were looking at conventional reentry preparation strategies, top-down control, directive teaching, accountable to mentor, middle class instructing the poverty class, and so on. Getting ahead <clears throat> is unique in that the group controls itself. The group is guiding the process. The facilitator's help uh, is a group discovery process. Um, the group is accountable uh, to each other rather than just to a teacher or instructor. And uh, we have cases in which poverty middle class uh, investigators are discovering together. They're discovering what resources they need rather than just being told what to get. Uh, they're taking into consideration uh, the many causes of poverty. So they're not just blaming themselves or looking for handouts at the other extreme, but really understanding uh, what they can control and what they can't control. And of course, uh, many of the uh, aspects of getting ahead while getting out uh, are associated with the hidden rules, uh, connecting the dots, uh, the group uh, constructing the agenda. So I blazed through this very rapidly um, to, to try to uh, uh, show how the, uh, the details of getting ahead while getting out uh, are helping these prisoners prepare for release. And I'm sure there'll be some questions on this. By the way, I want to acknowledge, uh, I saw that Deborah Price was on one of the participants, and she was tremendously helpful when we were considering uh, getting ahead while getting out. So I uh, just want to acknowledge that. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thanks so much. Um, this is really helpful, I think, in sort of distinguishing you know, the way business used to be done and the way it can be done. Uh, and I thanks for mentioning Deborah uh, Price. Uh, I've noticed the people that are on this call, many of them are good friends. And I uh, want to say welcome to you all, and thanks for all the work you've been doing. Uh, our next speaker is uh, Crystal Harris. And uh, those of you that are familiar with Getting Ahead have probably seen her slide, the slide of her that I show at the very end, where she's dancing with one of the Getting Ahead investigators. and. I think that, that one always uh, brings an ooh and an awe from the people that hear it because it just exemplifies uh, the feelings that are generated in uh, the getting head work between the facilitator and the investigators and everybody. So Crystal has been doing this for many, many years, and uh, she's now doing this uh, work in the context of workforce, uh, workplace stability, and she's doing getting ahead in the, in the workplace. So. Uh, Crystal, you're on. Okay. So, again, my name is Crystal Harris um, Darnell. And, um, and so I have been doing this work uh, for since I started back in 2005. 
I have facilitated over 25 getting ahead sessions. Um, I am trained um, in um, Bridges Out of Poverty um, facilitator. I also facilitate getting ahead and getting by world, getting ahead in the workplace, getting ahead while getting out. And so as you can see, I love getting ahead. And um, this is uh, very powerful, even for me, uh, as someone growing up in poverty and just sitting through my first um, getting ahead um, training. I was being trained as a Bridges uh, Out of Poverty facilitator or just going through a workshop. I wasn't even training yet. But even then, it just made a profound impact on my life. And so I have been um, a cheerleader for this work ever since. And so and getting ahead um, in the workplace um, is just uh, just an incredible um, program. And so, um, and I'm also a, a part of the uh, Impact Coalition. And the Impact Coalition here in Toledo, Ohio, uh, helped to uh, drive some of this work as we are building a Bridges community and, and getting different um, people from different sectors a part of this initiative. And it's so just um, starting doing the, the workplace, um, getting ahead in the workplace um, is just a huge part of that and just having a lot of support. And so when we look at how are we, who's involved in what we're doing, and so we, we started or created an employer, um, employer resource network. And a part of that uh, network, we had six organizations that was that have committed to being a part of that. Uh, one of the issues was that there was an issue with retention uh, among their um, their staff, and so in wanting to address that, um, they be, they bought shares um, as a part of the um, ERN and buying shares to support a community health worker. And what that community health worker responsibilities uh, were was to support graduates from the, um, the um, getting ahead in the workplace. Once they graduate, she would be responsible for following up with them, for making sure that um, whatever needs that they had, that they were being addressed. And so, and just kind of building that relationship with um, just the staff that was going through um, the getting ahead in the workplace training. Uh, a lot of the staff were um, direct care providers. And so a lot of them come to um, the organizations with not a lot of skills. Uh, I believe that only 3% had uh, a degree. And so some of them having some skills, but not enough skills to advance in their um, particular job. And so with that, uh, the community health worker was responsible for uh, helping them to identify what's next for them. And so she would come into our sessions and she would introduce herself and, um, and just kind of find out what the um, what the graduates needed and what they wanted and uh, and again it's been very successful um, in doing that and so again these are um, the six that were that participated in the ERN and they are all part of the uh, MRDD community 
um, here in Toledo, Ohio. And so Bridges Out of Poverty Training, so who's involved? And so how this was um, started, so we started training um, the administrators and the HR managers and the supervisors. Again, if we wanted to do this initiative, it was, it was important that we had everyone on board and that we had everyone speaking the same language. And when they begin to understand just what were some of the barriers that would get in the way of, let's say, just for you know, staff showing up for work. And so instead of just writing them up or them getting fired, how can they take an active approach in understanding what was going on for them? And so they can begin to eliminate some of those barriers. Um, the employees uh, are certified as Bridges uh, uh, BOP trainers and they're getting ahead in the workplace facilitators. So not only that you have um, people that were um, trained uh, as facilitators from the outside, but you also had people that were a part of the organization that also became facilitators because, again, their stories are very powerful. And as they talked about what a difference at the training or going through um, the class, made for them. You know, one of the um, one of the comments that I receive um, on the, the evaluation is just for from one of the graduates that graduated um, just stated that it was just amazing that I had two and a half hours for 20 sessions to sit back and think about my life. And he was stating that I've never gotten an opportunity to do that. And so for him, it was just life-changing. And so it was just incredible when you're able to put attention on what you want to do instead of just responding to the next crisis. Um, we also talked about, you know, managers, um, you know, have reported shifting their management style as a result of the training. Um, you know, for, for instance, um, there was a, a supervisor that one of um, her staff was calling in and said that her car had stopped on the, on the highway. And instead of, you know, uh, writing her up or just letting her taking the, 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 the night off and she was on second shift, she went and she got in her car, she went to pick her up and she brought her to work. And so, again, it just shows that when everyone is on the same page and, and, and talking the same language, it just makes a difference on how we solve the problems. Instead of blaming and judging, and now everyone is kind of being proactive of how can we increase uh, just uh, morale, but also, again, the, the you know retention is such a big part of that. Uh, and, so, and so people, employers, and employees are working together in order to solve these problems and also just meeting with um, the community health worker um, that make a difference um, in, their, um, in, in their retention. And so recruitment and challenges. And so again, I have done a lot of getting ahead um, in a getting by world um, trainings. And so when I started working and doing um, workplace, getting ahead in the workplace, it was a little different. And so um, some of the challenges, because it was in a workplace setting, and so sometimes it, it may have been a little challenging to set up the, the safety 
because these were people that uh, some people may have been managers um, and some of them were staff. And so what they did in recruiting um, was they, you know, recommendations from supervisors. And so supervisors were able to kind of handpick um, some of their staff that they thought that this would be a good training for them. And, um, and then also they did a, a video that sort of promoted um, getting ahead in the workplace. And because, again, when we talk about, um, you know, getting ahead in the workplace, it's hard to sum it up in, in, in just uh, a nugget. And so uh, just watching the, the, vid the video um, was a, a great recruiting tool uh, for some of the participants that went through the sessions. Uh, but also, but I think the biggest one was just the personal testimonies from um, the Getting Ahead grads. Once we got through our first class, and, um, and so I think our first class we had um, 10 that went through graduation. And so just their personal testimonies and, and what they got out of um, the, um, you know, Getting Ahead in, in the Workplace um, sessions was um, it was amazing because when we started the next class, uh, a lot of over half of them stated that it was because of the personal testimonies from our our previous graduates. That's why they're in. They signed up for getting ahead in the workplace, and so that was um, it. Was just amazing to hear that how this worked. Some of the challenges again was just you know confidentiality. Uh, some people. Uh, again, just some of the feedback that I gotten was, well, I don't want people in my business. Um, and, and again, I find that if they didn't have a good relationship um, with their supervisor, that there was a kind of a distrust of the organization. Uh, you know, again, why are they doing this? And um, and so I I, I under because of that, it was um, it was kind of challenging for for them to kind of do their recruitment, and then for some, again, when we talk about what getting ahead of the workplace was about, they just couldn't um, under they didn't see that there was a benefit for them. However, there were two of the graduates that went through the last class that stated, you know, at first I didn't think this was for me. I thought it was about something else or about budgeting, but then once they heard the personal testimonies from their peers who they trusted, and then they went ahead and signed up for the class, which, um, again, they just raved about what they were, what they received um, as a result of that. And so, um, so again, the employees um, were served, uh, we started in November of 2007, and there were 164 um, referrals um, as we uh, as they went through getting ahead, as they got a clear uh, perspective of what they wanted and what they needed. Uh, for a lot of the um, the graduates that went through the class, one of their big, biggest um, concerns was workplace balance, and so again, we find that a lot of them are working a lot. And so, therefore, just creating that workplace balance um, was a big factor for them, but also mobility. And, and again, they wanted to know how can they do more, how can they, um, how can they move up on their job. And so, 
as they were figuring out their goals and they were, uh, for the first time, some of them stated that this is the first time I really figured out what I really wanted to do next with my life. And so we had different people from, some of them have just started um, with um, the organization, but then we had other people that have been there for 10, 15, 20 years and, and kind of felt stuck in their position or didn't know how to move beyond where they were. And so going through um, getting ahead in the workplace gave them that time to kind of figure out what they wanted to do next. And then they, when they met with the, the community health worker, they had a plan on what they needed to, what, what they wanted to talk to her about. And so it really made a lot of difference for a lot of um, the participants. And again, during that, during, um, that time, we had 267 employee sponsored small dollar loans um, where instead of, again, them going to a payday lender, um, if they were in good standing with their employer, then they can take a, a low interest loan from their um, employer and then it will come out of their paycheck. And so they were not getting involved in, in the predatory the predatory loans um, at the payday lenders. And so that really made a big difference. And so, so far we've had 42 getting ahead graduates um, that has gone through our, our workplace um, getting ahead session. And um, this just have been amazing. One of the other things that um, we are doing too is that we are collecting information and we are collecting, um, monitoring their goals. And so we're using Charity Tracker just to, um, just to kind of track their goals. And so we're able to follow up with them, uh, a, let's say, six months to a year later, um, just to see how they're doing. And so off, that has also made um, a big difference for some of um, the graduates and so that we're able to track that information um, for them. And, um, and we also are doing follow-up workshops, you know, again, just working through the Impact Coalition. We are uh, providing uh, monthly workshops on different topics. And so, you know, we tell them after they create their, their life plan on what they want that this is not the end. This is the beginning. And so we want to make sure that as we're working to create that Bridges community that we are um, supporting um, our um, our graduates to make sure that they um, that they are not alone and that we are continuing to provide resources to them as needed and um, just some of the outcomes um, you know six out of eight of the employers are continuing with the ERN uh, we have five of the six employers are uh, reported a decrease in turnover and so and that was really important because again when we're talking about our the, the direct um, service providers there was a huge turnover and so we can see that when we are using um, getting ahead of the workplace and workplace stability and everybody is being trained and we're all talking the same language these are some incredible um, outcomes. And so again, you know, the turnover rates are um, decreasing, uh, the cost savings, the adjustments in hiring needs, um, and the, you know, the conclusions vary across employers. We have some employers that 
all of their their staff will go through it and their managers and their supervisors. And of course, when you have everyone at the, the, the organization that's going through the Bridges Out of Poverty training and they're really understanding and, and, and utilizing the concepts, the, the, the outcomes are a lot, um, are a lot um, bigger. And so just the last one, this is just some of our pictures of some of our, um, our graduates um, at the, um, when we do our graduation. You know, we have some that um, are just strictly, you know, in the workplace, but then we have others that bring in their family. And so when we talk about some of their goals and what they, um, and what they address, they address everything from budgeting, um, from, you know, negotiating a, a, a shift change to, to going back to school. And, and so when, we're, when they're looking at their goals, some of them are connected to work, but then we have others that is connected to their personal life. And so, again, you know, when we're doing these sessions, it just creates, again, a holistic approach in how can we support um, you know, the graduates and, and, and the organizations are really supporting their staff. And I tell you, um, in doing this, there has been, where there has been that distrust, when they find that their employers are doing this for um, their staff, the staff feels more valued. Uh, they, you know, they are now looking at the organization not just as a place to work, but they're now looking at the organization as a place that they can grow. And so um, this has been amazing in doing this work. And um, so I'm just excited to be a part of it. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, it's really been inspiring to hear the story uh, from Toledo, Lucas County. Uh, we are at the end of our hour, and I'm going to take the liberty of saying that we'll, we will take some questions. Uh, but let me make some kind of closing remarks just real briefly, and then we'll open it up and take some questions uh, so that we, we can, uh, you know, I'm sure some of you have them because I'm watching the chat out over here. So uh, first of all, I've learned something from uh, each of the speakers. That's what I love about this work is that we are uh, always learning from each other, and there's always more to learn. Uh, I think what we've seen here is an example of um, the idea in Bridges is that it's not a program. We encourage people to adopt the ideas and use them and apply them and innovate with them. And these have been four examples of real innovative solutions and people doing things that are realistic on the ground in the communities that they're in. Um, getting ahead in the whole series uh, has an element to it. Uh, it is a program, and, and so we, we look for people to uh, use the model the way it's designed. We find that that's when it works best. Studies have been done of it, and we can always talk more about that, but that is evidence that we need to be consistent in the way that we deliver uh, the Getting Ahead series. And that's what we're hearing here. Uh, you can always follow up by getting a hold of either uh, Lynn Jackson or Ruth Wyrick. And we'll put you in touch with people that can uh, get you the answers that you need. Uh, we're really good about uh, you know, getting in touch with and introducing people to each other. And we have lots of resources to help, to help people that want to start this kind of work. So on that note, um, I'll end the official uh, recording, so to speak. Uh, but now we'll open the floor, and you can come in and uh, ask questions. Uh, when you pose your questions, feel free to say, I want to hear from so-and-so. 
If you have a general question, I will direct it to the person that I think can answer it. I think while we give folks a moment to type in their questions, I just want to reiterate an invitation. Um, there's lots of online classes coming up, um, including uh, lots of Getting Ahead courses coming up here in the next couple months. So um, if this is something that interests you, if it's something you'd like to get into uh, further, that's a great place to start. Thanks, David. Um, so, Bill, uh, the qu one, one question came in, how are you tracking results uh, for what you're doing in reentry? Uh, would you like to speak to that uh, quickly? And I'll look for well, a uh, that are we don't have much of a track record of doing that right now because uh, only one, one of our graduates has come back to the Austin area. Most of them are in southeast Texas. Um, I've had, I've just heard, uh, so we don't have any affiliations down there with other agencies or um, where we can track them. Uh, I will say that, though, that uh, as we went through the program, uh, we prepared, we, we found out where people are concentrated, the returning citizens are concentrated upon release. And so we produced, through phone calls, online research, um, lists of resources, housing, job training, um, uh, health care, addiction recovery, those kinds of things, so that when they were planning, they had uh, a lot of resources they could contact when they got back to, to, to their home of record. Now, you may say, well, well, why didn't they do that during the class, find those resources? Uh, they have no access to computers in the Texas prison system, so they can't go online. And so that's how we help them. Uh, but, but we've had a very difficult time trying to track them upon release because nobody's come back to the Austin area. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bill. I, I think that's a, a there are special special problems that go with doing reentry work. That's certainly one of them, you know, because people that are in prison are coming from and going home to very different places. Uh, Debbie uh, asked a big state. <laughs> yeah, uh, Debbie Glass asked a question about uh, you know the different settings where our work is being used and how many places in the country and so on. Uh, our work is being used in 46 uh, states and five other countries. And if you go online, we have a map that you can see, and it will show you, uh, you know, who's doing what where. That doesn't mean that that captures everybody, because there's lots of places that are using bridges and getting ahead in uh, all of our books and, uh, and haven't put their information on the map. So again, I would uh, direct you to talk to uh, Lynn Jackson. And, uh, and she could give you some more information that's more specific. Uh, might get to uh, the part of the country that you're most interested in. I'm looking for other questions on here. Um, I see that a lot of you have been chatting with each other and getting answers as we go. And if we don't uh, hear from you soon, we're just going to call it a day. And um, Let's see, Susan Kemp is uh, on. She's saying hi to Crystal. <laughs> uh, Susan is doing great work in the state of Washington. Um, the question was, when, when do you, uh, this is a question to you, Crystal. Uh, we're getting egg, uh, investigations on, on the clock. Were they on the clock? Did, did they attend during uh, lunch hours? Or how did you do that? Can you give her an answer? 
Okay. Um, yes, they were on the spot, and they did receive um, overtime pay uh, for participating in, um, in, you know, in the in the session. And um, and they also got a meal, and so we had <laughs> we had really good food, and uh, and they were paid overtime. So yes, they were on the clock. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, we have uh, Richard Cobb who's writing in. Um, how did Crystal uh, initially create the partnerships with the organizations that are in the ERN? That's a very long story, and we'll uh, we'll need to do a, a special webinar on that if we haven't already. And that has to do with work for workplace stability. But uh, Crystal, can you give us a quick answer to that question? Well, what I'm going to do, I have a special guest sitting here next to me, Stephen McDonald, and I'm going <laughs> to let him tell you that, if okay. that's okay. Sure. So, so this is Stephen McDonald. So real briefly, um, we were able to use grant money through the Healthier Buckeye Council grants, which was through the uh, Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, to fund a prototype project where we were able to train the employers and gather the employers together. We worked with the um, superintendent of our Lucas County Board of Developmental Disabilities, who was really behind getting this project started, gathered the employers, got them on board, and, um, and covered a lot of the cost initially. In January, though, uh, now that we've shown the tremendous results in January, we're just, you, you don't need a lot of money to make this happen if you can show that it's going to be successful. So in January, we're starting more ERNs, at least one more and, and maybe more than one, uh, with just getting business people to fund it, getting the employers to fund it. So that's very short how we did it. I, I should add, um, I think the the fastest growing sector in the in the years to come is going to be the workplace. And it's because of the experience at Toledo and uh, and uh, Schenectady, New York, and other places that are starting up the ERNs. And there's a number of bridges sites across the country that are now start, starting. And it's uh, in the early days, it was almost impossible to get business interested. And now uh, I think we're going to see the businesses actually being the catalyst for starting initiatives in communities and building out to include the community. So that goes to this idea of innovation, the idea of people taking ownership of these ideas and doing things with them. And that's always the invitation for those of you that are hearing this for the first time, is that if you like the Bridges concepts, uh, we encourage you to uh, learn learn quickly. That you can lift this off the ground uh, with all the kind of supports that are out there for you. You can lift something off the ground pretty fast, and you can be innovating before very long. So uh, I think today was a great example of, of uh, four uh, places around the country that are doing great work. I want to thank our speakers uh, for taking the time to prepare them to work with us today. You're all very busy people. And we appreciate all that you're doing and all the contributions you're making to Bridges and getting ahead and for uh, people who are in poverty and who are struggling to get by. So with that, we're going to call it a day. Um, all right, folks, have a good day, um, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again.